morning. The last four weeks, we've been talking about the gospel. We talked first about Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we talked about the fact that, man, this simple gospel that sometimes we kind of blow off, saying that it's shallow and it's, you know, it's insignificant, and if we're going to be something, we need to go deeper or whatever we want to say. Man, we talked about the fact that this gospel, as the power of God to salvation, is what you need and what I need, regardless of where you are. I mean, especially those that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they need the gospel. They need to know that they're sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. They need to know that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. They need to know that God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. They need to know that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. They need to know the gospel. And they need to know it well. And they need to know it from you and I. <clears throat> and yet we, we also talked about the fact that, man, sometimes we are just absolutely clueless when it comes to the need of the gospel because we don't share it, right? We talked about the second week, just the fact that Paul said <clears throat> that he counted everything lost to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And we talked about the incredible truth of having Christ in your life that supersedes everything else. It supersedes wealth. It supersedes education. It supersedes relationships. I mean, to know Jesus Christ is better than anything else that we could ever possibly even fathom because of who He is and what is available to us through Him and the hope that we have in Him, right? We talked the third week about the fact that that we should become all things to all men, that by all means we might save some. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I've become all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. And how we need to be out there in the world, literally reaching people where they are, no matter what it takes. I mean, sometimes it takes humility. Sometimes it it takes sacrifice. Sometimes it, it takes just being out of your comfort zone. But it doesn't matter. So we can win the world because the world is lost and dying, right? Right, we're in a Baptist church where we're supposed to know that so well that we don't care anymore. Is that what we're supposed to do? Because that's kind of how we do it sometimes, isn't it? No, it's so well that we don't care anymore. And then last week I talked about, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And we talked about the fact that I think sometimes we have forgotten how sweet it is to take refuge in Jesus Christ. I mean, if you are saved, you are saved. (laughs) Right? It's a done deal. Christ promised He'd never leave us or forsake us. He promised that no one ever snatch us out of His hand. Man, He's promised that that this Holy Spirit that He's given us, man, that's just the, the pledge or the surety for the eternal life that is to come. And that we have an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled Reserved for us in heaven by God Himself. 1 Peter chapter 1. Man, it's an incredible thing, this gospel that we're talking about. And yet, in America at least, there's been these, these subtle things that have risen up within our churches. I don't think it's done on purpose. I just think it's just this subtle 
confusion that has taken place about who we are to be as individual Christians and who we are to be as churches. And, and part of that subtlety is we have convinced ourselves that if we get out among the world, somehow the world will ruin us rather than us impacting them. And while there might be a tad bit of truth in there that we need to be careful so we don't present ourselves or the members of our bodies as, as to sin, man, the truth is, is that we have pulled in the influence of the church, pulled in the influence of believers to the place where we are now cocooned within our churches or we are cocooned within our families. And instead of impacting the world for Jesus Christ, Man, the world's going to hell all around us, and we are lauding our piety and lauding our righteousness, and they're dying. So, as we look at the Word this morning, man, I want you to think, if you're a believer, are you impacting that world? Because if you aren't, man, I'm here to to say today, that needs to change. John chapter 17 We'll begin reading in verse 11. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you. These things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. Let's pray together. Father, it is good to be here this morning. And it is good to recognize who you are. Many here this morning know you as their Lord and Savior. That means that many of us, Lord, have been delivered from the domain of darkness and set into the kingdom of your marvelous light, bought out of sin and set free as saints, that we have been delivered from your wrath and your judgment and eternal death in hell and given a home in heaven. It's an incredible thought, Lord God. And we praise you for your grace and we praise you for your love and we praise you for saving us. But Father, in the same breath, we are positioned in a city with some 45,000 lost men and women and boys and girls. We are positioned in a state of some 450,000 lost in this state. We are positioned in a nation of millions upon millions of lost and a world of billions and billions. Father, the treasure that you've given us, this gospel, 
that we hold in earthen vessels, this treasure that is of greater price than any gold or silver, must go forth. And I ask, Lord, that as we look at this precious prayer that You prayed for us as Your followers, that, Lord God, You'd call us to be in the world but not of the world. Help us, Lord God, recognize the need the world has for Your children and for the Gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And this is a crazy time in the Scriptures. I mean, this is the Last Supper. Uh, If you go back to chapter 13 and begin to read, this is Jesus really at His last opportunity to teach before His death. And He teaches some incredible truths that these disciples and that you and I are going to need in our lives if we're going to continue to walk faithfully with Jesus Christ and impact the world around us. And He's there at this most intimate time. Judas has already left. And so it's just the 11 that are faithful, that have given up their lives and that are about to face one of the greatest trials that they've ever seen as Christ goes to the cross. And as He's taught them, He finally comes to chapter 17 and He begins to pray for them, which is crazy. I mean, here He is. He's been teaching them. He's told them that He's about to die. They don't fully understand it all yet, but it's still incredible the power and just the depth of what's taking place at this very moment. And then he begins to pray. And he first prays that God would glorify him so that he could glorify the Father and so that they could be honored literally through Christ's death. He begins to talk to the Father about the believers and he he tells them that he's shown them his name and that they have believed in Jesus Christ and they've come to know that everything from the Father is with the Son. And and then he comes down to, to verse 11 and he begins to pray for them because he is no longer going to be here physically to walk with them. In other words, he's praying for them that the Father would move in their lives after Christ has ascended back into heaven. We know because of what the Scripture teaches that that ministry is going to come through the Holy Spirit. But it's an incredible thought that Jesus is praying for them. As we read in verse 20, he's not only praying for them, but for all who would believe in the Word through them, which is us by the way. So this is Jesus literally praying for His followers from the beginning to 2009. And He says, and it's it's just crazy to me, verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. The first thing he says is, look, they're going to be left without me here, and I'm praying for you to keep them. Literally, I'm praying for you to protect them. I'm praying for you to move in their lives in such a way that they would be protected from all the things that could come upon them that I have taken care of while I was with them. In other words, there's some things that are going to happen. And really, he says, I I pray that you'll keep them so that they'll be one even as we are. So they'll have a, a union together like we have together so they'll be one with us but literally he says lord father i want you to keep them because there's going to be trials that come in their life and they're going to need you to take care of them now i don't know about you but i think that's kind of cool at that very base level that jesus christ understands that there are things that are going to come against us that we're not going to be strong enough to take care of our own is that true in your life if you're a believer 
I mean, do you ever have temptations that go beyond your ability to resist? We know that God has made the way out, right? No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And with that temptation, God has provided the way out, right? I know I kind of hacked up that verse a little bit. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Look it up. But the truth is, is he's got the way. Is there going to be obstacles, obstacles that come into our lives that we can't overcome? Is there going to be tragedy in our life and trials in our life and hardships in our life? Absolutely. But Jesus has prayed for us. I don't know about you, but I think that's kind of crazy that my Savior has prayed for me. But read on, and it goes a little further. Verse 12 says, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. He keeps on going and says, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, or in your power, or your glory, And he says, and not one of them perished, except the son of perdition, except Judas, who was destined to perish because he had to fulfill the scriptures. And even back in John chapter 6, Jesus called him a devil. He knew the whole time that Judas was not one of them, right? But he says, of the 11 that are mine, of the 11 that are in this room, of the 11 that you have given me, I guarded them and I protected them. And not one of them perished. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty amazing because these guys were pretty crazy sometimes, right? It wasn't like they were the picture of intelligence all the time. It wasn't like they were the picture of strength. They are absolutely about to find some situations in their life that are going to cause them to scatter, right? Jesus had already told them when they strike the sheep, the, she- or the, she- the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And Peter had already said to him, oh, Lord, even if I have to die for you, I'll never deny you. And he told Peter before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And that very night, after this prayer, Peter was going to deny him and the disciples were going to scatter. And Jesus said, listen, Lord, I'm not going to be with them and I'm not going to be here to guard them. And so I'm asking you to guard them because they're yours. They're yours. Now, that doesn't sound like any big deal, maybe, but it's a huge deal to me. Because after Christ rose from the dead, He sent these 11 to go out and lay the foundation of the church, and these 11 were going to die for Him. All they think but John died a martyr's death. And John lived into his 90s, And was persecuted to the end for his faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is looking at these 11 and saying to the Father, I need you to protect them. I need you to guard them. I'm not going to be with them. And the world's going to come against them. And trials are going to come against them. And they're going to have to give their life in my name, Father, and in your name. And we can't lose any of them. How awesome is it that God is not going to lose us? I love the fact that He's going to keep us. And honestly, it doesn't really matter what we go through because He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. No one's going to take us from Him. In other words, we are as secure as secure can be. And I, amen, Ken. I, you ought to be jumping up and down at that thought. As secure as secure can be. It doesn't matter where God leads you. It doesn't matter what God asks of you. It doesn't matter what comes against you. It doesn't matter if it's demonic or angelic. It doesn't make any difference. 
Nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not one thing. Isn't that awesome? He's prayed for us. Ask the Father to keep us. He goes on, he says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Now, this is kind of crazy, right? I come to you, but I speak these things so that their joy may be made full in them. Now, what kind of joy is he talking about? Because he's just about to tell them that because they have God's Word in them, and they know the Word, and they're going to speak the Word in the truth, the world's going to hate them. What kind of joy can you have when the world hates you like it hated Jesus Christ? Can you have joy and be hated? Oh, you better believe you can. Can you have joy and be persecuted? Oh, you better believe you can. How do you have that kind of joy? Well, you fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. What's the joy of a believer? The joy of a believer is the knowledge that Jesus Christ, first of all, loves you through all circumstances and through all conditions. The joy of a believer is knowing that you're doing the will of God and walking with Him in all circumstances. The joy of the believer is to know that there is something better beyond this world. It's not comfort. It's not protection in this world. It's not all the ease that we would long to have. It's not all the safety that we would long to have. It's not all this gathering ourselves in to our little cocoon so that nothing dangerous ever happens to us and no trials ever come our way. Nobody ever challenges our faith. Nobody ever teaches us something that shouldn't be taught. It's not that. Man, the joy of a believer is to know that Jesus Christ is overcomer. He's sustainer. He's victor. He's Lord. He's deliverer. He's redeemer. And one day He's coming for you if you know Him. Man, He's telling them, guys, there's some things that are going to happen that are pretty difficult for you. But I've told you this, that your joy may be made full in Me. But listen to what He says in verse 15. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Well, i got to tell you, verse 15 is a haunting verse. And it should be a haunting verse. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Man, Jesus is saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for my followers. I'm praying for those that I am about to die for. I'm praying for those that I love. I'm praying for those that you gave me. These men... And those of us that are believers today are precious to me, Father. But I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the sin of the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world where there is wretchedness and and depravity. I'm not asking you to take them away from those that are lost and broken and disgusting and rude and just as bad as it gets sometimes. when When was the last time you were out in the world? Have you seen the world lately? The world's an ugly place. Lost people can be ugly people, but so can Christians if you're not careful. Jesus said, I'm not taking them out of the world. Don't take them out. 
I'm sending them into the world. The disciples were to go into the world. They were to take the gospel to the lost. They were to go from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world. That was his commandment before he ascended right in front of them. They weren't to stay in their cocoon. They weren't to stay in their churches. They weren't to stay in their homes. They weren't to protect themselves from all the influences of the world. They were to be the light of the world. They were to go and they were to make an impact. And man, we've got this crazy, subtle teaching today that says, if we go into the world, the world's going to ruin us. The world's going to destroy our family. The world's going to destroy our churches. Let's huddle together. Matter of fact, there are some that would teach today, honestly, that they can't even let other church members influence them or their children because they're afraid of other church members. It's ridiculous and completely unscriptural. Completely. At no level does the Scriptures tell us, number one, that we can't let another church member impact us. Man, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that God puts us into His body as He sees fit so that as together in the body we can serve the Lord. Together, not apart. It's also completely unscriptural to believe that if we encounter the world in the Spirit of God and walking in righteousness, that the world is going to win. The world cannot overcome Jesus Christ. And He won't. I mean, the world's just not going to do it. I mean, I, I love 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-11. through 11. It says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But I actually wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. How crazy is that? I mean, honestly, how crazy is that? That we would say we can't associate with the lost when the Word of God says what you shouldn't do is associate with the wicked believer. You need to associate with the lost because the lost needs you. They need you. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, they need you. They need you to encounter them. They need you to associate with them. They don't need you to become sinful like they are. They don't need you to live an immoral life before them. If you do that, you can't impact their life for Jesus Christ. They need you to walk in righteousness. They need you to sanctify yourself. I'm not talking about compromising your standards. I'm not talking about your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about being in the world for the glory of Jesus Christ so that the world that's lost and dying and broken can be saved. Man, not only is the world wretched, but the world is broken. Ask them. Just ask them. Ask them if they're not empty. Ask them if they're not hurting. Ask them if they're not tired of the bitterness. Ask them if they're not tired of the resentment. Ask them if they're, if they're not tired of not having direction. Ask them if they're not tired of wondering if anybody in the whole world loves them. Just ask them. Because if you ask, 
and you're serious and you're sincere, they're going to tell you they are broken and they cannot be fixed without Jesus Christ. And who, who is going to tell them if we are huddled in our cocoons, in our homes, and in our churches, using the excuse that says we're doing this for righteousness' sake. That's our excuse, isn't it? Somebody say yes. Our excuse is that we won't take Jesus to the world because somehow we are keeping Him for ourselves and He's proud of us for doing that. And let me just say this. If that's what you've been doing in your life, repent. Repent, repent, repent. Listen. God sends us and calls us. He doesn't just send us into this world. He says we might have to go and die for this world. He's not asking you to be comfortable. He's not asking you to be safe. He's asking you to trust Him. He is the one that keeps us. Not us. If you think you can huddle in your house and avoid all temptation and avoid the influence of the evil one, if you think you can huddle around your children so your children never experience evil and they never experience the evil one, if you think you can keep everything out bad that you'd like to keep out just by isolating yourself from this world, you are mistaken. Your children, number one, are sinners. They don't have to be taught how to be sinful. They're sinners. They need to be saved, right? But apart from that, man, evil is all around us. Uh, You can try to isolate yourself if you want to, and it's not going to happen. You either come to the place where you recognize that the security of your life and the security of your children is Jesus Christ, or you live the rest of your life in fear. And really, honestly, it's fear that causes us to huddle at home and fear that causes us to huddle in our churches. It's fear that dictates that response. And honestly, I know to some degree, um, a long, long time ago, Beth and I felt that God said, put your kids in public school. And the public school is not a very nice place sometimes. And I'm not trying to be mean to our teachers. We've got several of them. Thank God for light in school, by the way, from our teachers. But you know, has it cost at some level, for our kids to be at public school? Probably. I mean, there's not been a one of my children that hasn't come home and said, man, Dad, this is what they said today. Is this true? There's not been a one that hasn't come home and said, man, I know kids that drink and, you know, immoral, and it's all around us all the time. I won't lie to you. Is that scary at some level? Absolutely. Honestly, there comes a time where where you go, all right, Lord. I mean, for me and Beth, this is where you wanted us. And man, do I want to see my kids fall into the ways of the world? (laughs) I could want something less if I could figure it out in my life. There's nothing I want less than my kids to fall into the ways of the world because I've been down the route. It's a horrible route. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's Christ 
it's Christ that's going to take care of my children. Whether I have them at home or whether I have them at school, it's Christ that's going to take care of my children, not me. And I have been on my knees for my kids before. I pray every day, I mean every day, that my children would know my Savior and walk with Him. All my kids have been saved, thank God. But I pray every day they'll have a relationship with Him that's real because of what He's done in their lives. And you know what? Whether you homeschool or whether you send your kids to public school, if you're not praying that prayer, you're crazy, flat out crazy. Because it's not going to be you, promise, that keeps your kids. When I went to Bible college, we had an educational psychology class. The Bible college was kind of awesome, actually. And uh, we did a little informal test. How many of you were raised in Christian homes? How many of you were raised in homeschool? I mean, Christian schools, homeschool, and public schools? About a third around the class each way. How many of you walked with the Lord all the days of your life? Do you know the number was even? Homeschool, Christian school, public school, for those that walked with the Lord all their life and those that didn't. It was dead even. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, what matters, honestly, is what you teach your children about Jesus Christ. What matters is the gospel. What matters is if your kids will know about Jesus Christ and walk with Him. You pray about where God wants you to put your children and then you put them there but don't you think that one is a better answer than the other when it comes to the heart of your children? It's the gospel. Just like the gospel that the world needs. It's the gospel. It's the word of God. And I'll be honest with you. Man, heaven help us for cocooning ourselves from one another and from the world when Christ has said, go into this world and impact this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ because of fear. Heaven help us. And he goes on and he says, verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Man, not only does he say, Lord, protect them while they go into the world, but he says, sanctify them in truth, and your word is truth. The thing that's going to make a difference in our lives is the word of God. Man, we need to be set apart by the Word of God. It's what reveals to us what sin is. It's what reveals to us what righteousness is. It is the truth in our lives, and we need to be sanctified. We need to be purified as we go into this world. I'm telling you, let's not go into this world like the world. Let's go into this world like Christ. Let's go into this world with life. Let's go into this world with truth. Let's go into this world with the gospel. Let's not go into the world with sin. Why say that? Some people say, man, if... If you don't stay out of the world, you're just going to go into the world and be a sinner. That's not true. You don't have to be a sinner when you walk with Jesus Christ. You can go into this world with righteousness. And man, the world needs it, does it not? We ought to be the light. And I love what he says. He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. How did God send Jesus into the world? He sent Jesus into the world to seek and save that which was lost. He sent Jesus into the world to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
He didn't send Jesus into the world to stay away from sinners. He sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. And just like he sent Jesus into the world, the Father is sending us into this world to save sinners with the gospel and with a lifestyle that shows what Jesus Christ is. He certainly didn't send us in here to sit in our churches and do nothing. And then he says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. He says, I have set myself apart for their sakes. His sanctification, his part that was set apart, was the cross. He died so that we would know the truth so that we would be in this world, not of this world, so that we would impact the lostness of this world, so that people would be saved. He died for you. He died for me. And I don't know about you, but somebody told me about the gospel a long time ago. If you're saved, somebody told you about the gospel a long time ago. And honestly, if you're saved, God's calling you to continually tell people about the gospel that they might be saved. Man, if you want to figure out what College Heights Baptist Church is about, if you want to know what our mission statement is, if you want to know what our vision statement is, if you want to know what our purpose statement is, if you want to figure out all that we're about, let me just sum it up to you. We are about taking this gospel that God has given to us out there. That's what we're about. Out there. Out there. Because, man, how can you imagine? I mean, how can you fathom? How can you somehow absorb the thought of your dad going to hell? Or your mom, or your sister, your brother, or your son, or your daughter, or your neighbor, or your co-worker, or your friend, or even people you don't know. You tell me that God is going to trade your comfort and your safety for the souls of men? Is that what you're trying to tell me? as you huddle inside and hoard the gospel that's been shared with you, is that what you're saying God's pleased about? Because I'm here to tell you He's not. I, I am always amazed and incredibly thankful when someone gets saved. I've never been around someone who got saved who wasn't at some level hurting and broken and sometimes ugly and smelly spiritually. Lost people just, they're ugly spiritually, right? How good do they look, though, when they're saved? How good do they look? They look righteous. Perfect, holy, 
Man, there's nothing in this world that I find more unbelievable than a wretched sinner saved by grace. Because that's me. That's me. And I titled this sermon, Kept in the World. Let's get into the world knowing that God Himself is keeping us. Let's not be afraid. Let's start sharing the gospel that people might be saved. Let's pray together. Father, I love You. I thank You for the goodness and the grace and the power of Your Word. I'm thankful that You keep us while we're here. When temptations come, Lord, You provide the way out. When we sin, 1 John tells us that we have an advocate in Christ Jesus who stands for us and washes us clean through His blood. Father God, when the world seems to overwhelm us, we have a rock to stand on that's a firm foundation in Christ and a strong tower to run into and find safety. You've called us into the world that men and women might be saved. Lord God, forgive us when we have allowed whatever subtleties to take that truth from us. And Lord, help us go back into this world with the gospel for your glory. And I do pray for those of you here this morning that don't know you as Savior. There's no sweeter gift in all the world than to be made clean, though we don't deserve it. Because you love us and sent your Son to die for us. Lord Jesus, would you transform our hearts even this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.